What would you give up for greater power? What do you do when your positive traits become hindrances? And if you had limited time left, how would you go out? Hello, friends. Welcome to Characters Without Stories, a TTRPG podcast about the roads not yet traveled. I'm Star. This episode, I'm joined by Jim S., who is an office worker in the Buffalo, New York area and a TTRPG TikToker, which is how we met uh, because I've been following your Savage Worlds content uh, because it's something I haven't played. So I'm excited to talk about a Savage Worlds character. So, Jim, I'll give you a chance to plug your projects at the end. But right now, do you have anything else you want to tell listeners about yourself? Well, my uh, my TikTok handle is Jim Has Fun Online. And that, that's just about it. Everything else is contained. <laughs> so tell me, Jim, who are you bringing to the table today? I'm bringing Janie the Juicer from the Savage Riffs setting, also known as Riffs for Savage Worlds. Inspired by the song, Janie's Got a Gun by Aerosmith. Yeah, and um, for a little background, maybe maybe this needs a little bit of a content warning um, because the song it has some pretty serious themes in it, which... Maybe refresh my memory, but it's about a child essentially that was abused and takes revenge by killing her abuser. Yeah, this is inspired a bit by the, but it doesn't get as, as into that with this particular character. It's right. uh, more about her going after someone who, who abused a family member, but she doesn't mm-hmm. really know that yet at the beginning of the, her story. That's something that would be uncovered in the course of play if she were right. to play in a campaign. This character is built for Savage Worlds. What is their character class? The character class is is called a juicer. And a juicer is a kind of chemically enhanced super soldier. In a world like Rift's Earth, ordinary people don't stand a whole lot of a chance out in the, the world of adventuring because threats are just enormous. And so many ordinary uh, humans and other species on Earth will undergo a, a process where they are fitted with a, uh, a thing called a biocomp, which pumps these chemicals into their body, making them bigger, faster, much stronger, the, a super agility, kind of enhanced senses and reflexes, and very powerful in combat, and able to use big, big weapons and that, that kind of thing. Would you choose a juicer class? Are you getting access to all of those enhanced abilities or are you choosing? You start with a, a core set of abilities and then juicers, as they advance, as the character advances, a juicer can take additional what are called edges, which are a bit like feats that are exclusive to the juicer. They call it a framework in Savage Rift. So they're mm-hmm. exclusive to this framework that can make them even faster, even tougher. In addition to just taking some of the core combat classes that they might take. So maybe it would be helpful for the audience to talk a little bit about how you build a character in Savage Worlds. It seems like there's kind of character archetypes. Would that be correct? They call them frameworks in this setting. In the core Savage Worlds rulebook, there are no actual uh, character classes. Uh, The character classes are left up to individual settings such as Rifts or Deadlands, then they kind of separate them out into either archetypes or classes, or in this case, frameworks. So you would pick uh, a framework and you'd pick a a race to go with the framework. Certain uh, frameworks are are 
not available to certain of the core races, but there is a race building system in Savage Worlds where you can actually custom create your own race if you want it to be um, something that would ordinarily not have access to a framework. You could just kind of kit bash it into making a version of the race that that would would work. That's an interesting approach. I'm kind of curious, what options do you have available to you for races in the Rift setting, and what race is uh, Janie? Janie is a human. She, she's an ordinary human, born, born on Earth, uh, about 21 years old at the start of her career as an adventurer. But the races, there, there's enormous numbers of races. There were a few core races in the Savage Rift setting they just added a whole bunch more races, a whole bunch more like mutant animals and the Sasquatch, all kinds of other, other options available. You can be a dragon in Savage Rift. Nice. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected. I mean, I I played Rifts way, way back in the day, the original Rifts, and mm-hmm. my recollection of it was that it was kind of a post-apocalyptic, almost mm-hmm. like a little bit sci-fi with magic kind of world. Would that be correct? Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a kitchen sink genre of game where every it's just they throw everything in together. It's got elements of fantasy, cyberpunk, a kind of military sci-fi. There's horror elements as well, and they're all kind of mashed in together. There's like giant mech, like there's like giant robots. The idea is that rifts have opened up around the world at the point of this cataclysm that happens around the year 2080. The ley lines reemerge and crisscross the globe and north america is just full of them they're concentrated in areas where there had been higher concentrations of of people living so places like new york city are are just crisscrossed with ley lines and where ley lines intersect are are called nexuses and a nexus a ley line nexus is a, a powerful magical area where rifts to other realms other dimensions other planets are known to regularly open up and things can often cross over through these rifts. Different people, different species of aliens and fantasy races have just kind of either deliberately or accidentally just found themselves on this post-apocalyptic earth all around the world. And as they've settled and started to form communities, there's just been various conflicts that have uh, emerged. One of the main antagonists of Savage Rifts is something called the Coalition States, which are human supremacists that are determined to rid the world of any kind of aliens or magic. So they're, they're a bit like kind of the Imperium, I think, in, in uh, Warhammer 40k, the society that's xenophobic. And they're one of the, more one of the principal villains. So a lot of player characters might maybe have lived in the Coalition States and had defected or escaped in some way and now uh, work to sort of undermine their efforts to expand their, their area of influence as they try to spread across North America. Are there other factions within this world besides the Imperium? There are a number of them. Is Janie part of a faction? Yeah, at the start of play, she is part of uh, what's called the Tomorrow Legion, which is a small organization centered near Branson, Missouri, or what was what's left of Branson, Missouri. Savage Rifts introduced this faction as a kind of starting point for player characters because they're a kind of do-gooder organization that's trying to bring peace, stability, and safety to just anybody in North America that needs it. So you mentioned that the Tomorrow Legion is kind of a 
do good or legion and that it's recommended for new players. Would you say that the setting or the game itself kind of encourages like a do-gooder approach or is that just kind of where they want beginners to start? The game system itself, I think, kind of encourages people to make kind of these larger-than-life heroic characters. Because in the original Rifts, characters were often, they were mercenaries or they were like bounty hunters or something like that. And you could pl- you could play Savage Rifts that way. But when Sean Patrick Fannin adapted Rifts to Savage Worlds uh, a few years ago, he had come up with an idea to create an organization that would player characters could start at that would kind of give them a reason to be adventuring together right off the bat and to be kind of going around doing heroic more positive things than just trying to collect money or or uh, a gear that kind of thing or power so what would you say Janie's motivation is for being out in the world for adventuring couple of things one her main motivations is that she would like to try to find out what happened to her sister peg she had an older sister named peg who was a juicer before Janie was Peg had been a, a competitor in a city of Kingsdale, which is not far from Castle Refuge, where the Tomorrow Legion is headquartered. And Kingsdale is a city that was founded by dwarves and elves that had come through a rift. And it was actually an entire town of dwarves and elves had rifted in from a fantasy world. So they just kind of settled there and have built a community and a city there. And that's where uh, Janie and her sister, her older sister Peg, had grown up. And her, their mother, Sylvia, had worked at the Kingsdale Enhancement Clinic, which is a place where juicers and other uh, augmented people go to receive their augmentation, either juicer upgrades or other kinds of uh, cybernetic enhancements. And after their mother was killed in an incident at the clinic involving a criminal gang that was trying to attack someone who was a patient at the clinic for gang-related reasons, Peg decided to take the kind of next-of-kin payout that they'd gotten from the clinic and use it to get herself juiced, as they say, or undergo the process, as juicers call it. And she became a competitor in juicer sports in Kingsdale. And her younger sister, Janie, worked as a kind of de facto manager, helping out managing her career as a competitive athlete. But then one of the things about being a juicer is that juicers don't live very long because the chemicals take their toll on whatever body they're working on. And most juicers don't live past four to five years after they are after they become juicers, unless they undergo a kind of difficult detoxification process. So juicers tend to just try to go out in a blaze of glory once they start to feel like they're entering something that they juicers call last call. They will go out and seek dangerous adventures. They'll go out into the wild and try to just go down fighting. Uh, they'll go attack large animals or that kind of thing. And Peg started to feel this last call coming. And she just disappeared for several days. And Janie didn't know where Peg went. And so Peg came home one night to their apartment where they lived together in Kingsdale and looked absolutely haggard. Her eyes looked sunken like she hadn't slept. And uh, she just gathered a few things and she said, I have to go. Get out of Kingsdale as soon as you can. If anyone comes looking for me, tell them I'm dead. You won't really be lying. Not really, she said. And she took off out the door. Janie watched her leave, 
saw her sister Peg get on the back of a motorcycle being driven by what appeared to be another juicer, another big, massive juicer. And she got a look at that juicer's face and there was something very wrong about it. It had the face of a corpse. And then they rode away. She never saw Peg again. It's interesting to me that choosing a juicer really severely limits your lifespan. Why do you think a character would make that choice? Well, the thing about juicers is they're very celebrated individual. Uh, there's there's like juicer sports and things that are broadcast in areas that have, say, broadcast television. Juicer sports are recorded and video recordings of juicer sports are exported around to various other regions and cities where they're watched by people craving uh, excitement and that kind of thing. And so they're celebrated and there's an entire culture around juicers. It's a kind of nihilistic, action-centered culture. And so people are attracted to that, especially since you can often just going around being an unpowered person in a world where there's demons and aliens and robots and things like that, any number of which can do all kinds of harm to an unpowered, squishy little person. Becoming a juicer that's able to fight back, even if it's only for four or five years, looks rather attractive. Did Janie become a juicer before her sister went missing? No, she took the money that she had put aside. Her sister had been putting aside money. They had been trying to pressure Janie into also becoming a juicer. And Janie resisted because their mother really didn't want either one of them to become juicers or to become augmented because she had seen at the clinic. Peg had put money aside for Janie to undergo the process if she ever changed her mind. And once she disappeared, the money was still there. So Janie decided to go ahead, something kind of switched in her mind, and she decided to go ahead and undergo the process herself. What is that process like? It's really just a surgical procedure where the biocomp is installed and the chemicals are gradually introduced to a juicer's body. It has to be done you know, with, under strict supervision and with expert care. And then there's a recovery period of, I believe it's a few weeks, as the juicer has to get used to the chemicals and retrain their body to use this, this newfound strength and ability. But once they recover, they actually physically grow. So it's a bit like Bane and Batman. They physically become much larger. They'll actually gain height. Uh, typical juicers anywhere from seven to eight feet tall, very muscular, extremely fast. Juicers mostly, at a competently run clinic, most juicers make it out intact. But some don't? Some don't, yeah. Some don't survive the process. In the actual setting lore, the Kingsdale Enhancement Clinic has a success rate of 98%. I don't know if the other 2% don't survive the process or simply reject it in some way. Was there anything in particular that drew you to choosing this type of character? Well, I made this character initially for a one-shot that I was running called Mayhem Squadron. And the juicer was going to be kind of the on-the-ground combat-heavy character. Although everybody in the, in the one-shot, there were six. All the characters are, are good combat characters. But Janie was going to be the juicer. So Janie is a woman and you're a man. Why did you decide to play a different gender? And is that something that you often do? I haven't done it a lot in campaigns. I've done it uh, many times in one shots that people have run. You know, I'll select a, a female character. Have you found any particular challenges or has it been pretty easy for you? 
I think it's been straightforward for me because, you know, it's just, it's a person, you know, I just play the character as a person. I, I don't, I don't think of a character as being any different than a masculine character. You know, they're going to have their own motivations, their own abilities, their own goals, their own fears. It's on the character sheet. You know, if the character has like a phobia, then you play that. If they have a code of honor, then you play that, that sort of thing. Are those kind of things, for example, phobias, is there any mechanical kind of built-in system for that in Savage Worlds? In Savage Worlds, if a character has something like a phobia, or uh, in the case of someone like Janie, like juicers automatically have a death wish hindrance, mm-hmm. uh, which means that she'll seek out dangerous encounters. She, she doesn't shy away from them. She'd be perfectly happy with just going into a situation that maybe even seems hopeless. If you play up a character's hindrance, you will generally be rewarded with a Benny if you can bring up the fact to the GM that you're playing up a hindrance. The GM should award a Benny, and a Benny is a token that allows... It's a bit like inspiration, I think, in D&D. You can spend a Benny to have a reroll on a trait or damage roll. Trait rolls are skills or attributes. So if you roll, uh, say, to shoot something and you miss, you can spend a Benny and get another roll. And then you could take whichever roll is better. Same with about damage. And Bennies can be used for other things, too. They can be spent to influence the story in some way. Like if you if there's a piece of gear that your character really needs to have in a specific situation, if the GM's permission, you can spend a Benny and say, I, I happen to pack this particular gear. And there's a couple other uses for Bennies as well, such as getting a better draw in the initiative do you have any idea of what Janie's sexuality might be? I have a feeling she'd be pretty fluid with it. She's kind of driven to be heroic and to find out what happened to her sister. So I think that any kind of love interest that came along her way would probably catch her by surprise. Mm. So she would probably be, I would imagine, bisexual. I, I think she'd be pretty fluid mm-hmm. with that kind of thing. I don't think she would be dead set one way or the other. Can you tell me what does Janie look like? For one thing, she's very big because she's a juicer. She is about seven feet tall and muscular. She has auburn hair. She wears medium plate armor. She wears special armor that's built for juicers. She has a side cut hairstyle with it kind of swept over. She wears a laser rifle on her back and she, she carries a, a, a kind of a short sword. It's called a vibro short sword. It's an electrically powered, technologically advanced sword that she could really could cut through even like a steel door with that, given enough time. She wears her armor most of the time, but that's kind of her her appearance. I don't know if you're a, someone who enjoys doing character voices, but if you do, is there a voice for Janie? Janie would probably, because of how big she is, like most juicers, she would probably have a kind of deep voice because she's gotten larger in size, I think. With that enhanced lung capacity, she could probably yell pretty loud. <laughs> probably she would probably talk like this. Got to help those kids. Got to find out what happened to my sister. <laughs> Sounds like she has a very kind of like serious vibe. She's a pretty serious character. She wants to do right by the world. She has the heroic hindrance. There's a number of hindrances. Characters take hindrances at character creation. And she has four hindrances. Death Witch, which comes from the framework that she took as a juicer. She has the heroic hindrance, which means that she will always try to do right by people. She'll always try to protect the innocent and save people from danger. 
she has the loyal hindrance, which means that whatever group she's with, you know, she, she will fight for that group. And then she has a vow of um, avenging her sister's death, although what she doesn't really realize is that her sister's not actually dead, dead. Have you decided what happened to her sister? If I was running in a campaign with this, I would leave it up to the game master. But the strong implication would be that Peg, feeling the last call coming, feeling her own death as a juicer, encroaching closer and closer, sought out a cult of necromancers known as the Grim Reaper cult. And the Grim Reapers are known to be able to extend the life of a juicer to immortality but at a cost. And what would that cost be? Uh, well, their soul, basically. What does it mean to lose your soul in this game? Oh, yeah, the soul is a big part of Rifts. To lose one's soul or to have one's soul sort of corrupted is a very serious thing. Canonically in Rifts, a soul can be taken out of a body and it can, it can be put back in by certain uh, alien beings and powerful creatures or gods. So the soul is very much a real thing. And the Grim Reaper necromantic cult has the ability to change a juicer's biocomp, replace the chemicals that the biocomp uses, the kind of mundane sort of super soldier serum, and replace it with this necromantic fluid and kind of converts the, uh, the juicer into a, uh, a nightmarish creature called a murder wraith. All the strength and power of a juicer with immortality and near imperviousness to mundane attacks. Is there a risk associated with this kind of procedure besides losing your soul? Oh, I mean, becoming a murder wraith? Yeah. I think a juicer could perish. It's like another process that's like a ritual that's conducted. And, and it's, it's a particularly unpleasant thing for the juicer to undergo. It's also unpleasant for anybody who, who happens to be there in the presence of this ritual happening who's not part of the cult because they're probably not getting out. The cult is one of the main nightmarish evil organizations in the game. So going back to Janie's hindrances, it's interesting to me that the things that are described as hindrances actually sound like ideals. For example, if you were playing D&D... <laughs> something with a positive spin but it's actually something that's hindering your character right if a player can act on the hindrance especially if it's in a way that's against their own interests they're against the interests of the character the immediate character or against the interests of like the team they're in they should definitely get a benny for that for example if, if Janie were to get a clue about what happened to peg she might wander off from the group if the group's like we really have to go do this other thing she'd be torn between her loyal hindrance and her vow hindrance she would either have to act on one or the other hindrance and she should probably get a benny because of how torn up she'd be over that she'd either be going against her own interests by not going after the information on her sister and staying with the group or she'd have to go against the group and go off to chase down some lead that sort of thing or if she were in a situation where she saw something horrible about to happen to like an innocent group of people but to go after them might in some way endanger the group. It might give away the presence of the group, that sort of thing. If she acts on that, she would definitely get a Benny for doing that. So would you say that the game rewards characters making difficult choices? Mm -hmm. I think so. The GM is encouraged to reward the players for doing that. That's kind of mechanically how it, how it works in the game. So this character was inspired by a song 
Would you say that that is common for you, finding like kind of a spark from a piece of culture? Is there any sort of through line to how you start creating characters? For myself, inspiration can come from all kinds of places. I can be inspired by a character on like a TV show or a movie. I've had um, characters that were inspired by former roommates. <laughs> I once based a character in a campaign on a, a guy I used to live with that person's personality and their interests. So yeah, inspiration can strike. I've had songs have, have inspired characters going all the way back to like my earliest days playing RPGs. Would you say that you start with a vibe or personality first? Uh, yeah. A lot of times I'll think of kind of a backstory, a motivation, something that would motivate somebody to, to be an adventurer and then I kind of work from there. I've done things where I've taken a song and made the song kind of the character's backstory. I even had a character one time that was a gnomish bard in an Eberron campaign who was inspired by the Pink Floyd song, The Gnome. <laughs> and I took the lyrics of the, of the gnome and I took the title character from that song and said that was my character's father. So I used the father's story from that as kind of the backstory for my character. And nobody caught on, nobody in the group. <laughs> was familiar with that song. So I was like hoping that somebody would go, wait a minute, that's from the Pink Floyd song. Nope. It's always a little disappointing when that happens. I did like a whole D&D combat that was based on a mix between Indiana Jones and Tremors. And some of the players didn't get it. And I was like, oh, come on, a big boulder was rolling at you. <laughs> How do you miss that? Yeah. <laughs> It's disappointing when nobody gets your references. <laughs> I play with a lot of people who are younger than me, so yeah. it's pretty common for me. I once came up with an entire fantasy version of the RoboCop plot <laughs> from the 1987 movie RoboCop. I, I took yeah. that entire plot and made a fantasy version of it. And I posted it on Reddit at one point. Maybe one or two people were like, oh, do Footloose next, you know. <laughs> but everybody else was like, what is this, you know. So I was like, okay, Footloose. Yeah, sure. There'd be a town. No one's allowed to use magic. There's like this stern cleric that kind of runs the town and and uh, no one's allowed to use magic. Convince the, the townspeople to uh, to allow it. A, a no bard town for sure. Yeah, no, no bards. Yeah, no bards allowed. <laughs> and no, no, no dancing. <laughs> you were talking about how you know, you're often bringing in family, that family is important to you in building characters. And obviously this character is, sounds like that's definitely the case for them because they're so motivated by their sister's disappearance. You also mentioned her mother. What was her life like growing up? Well, she was living in Kingsdale and in Kingsdale, humans are kind of shunted off to the side because the dwarves and elves just kind of deal with each other just kind of give humans the brush off. They get along. There isn't really any strife between them, but there's not a lot of cooperation, that kind of thing between them. They lived in a decent place because their mother had a regular professional job, a stable full-time employment. So they lived in a nice like apartment building. And so growing up, they were both kind of captivated by the, the juicer sports that take place in Kingsdale because Kingsdale is a big popular area with juicers. And there's juicer football, there's dead ball, and murderthon, the big juicer sports. So they grew up watching those. Peg particularly was the one who wanted to become a juicer, but the mother didn't had discouraged that. 
as far as education goes, I would imagine since it's the future, they probably educated by some sort of technology. So I imagine they probably learn things like learning to read and write and that sort of thing through technology, perhaps. But they had had a, a relatively good life. Oh, one other big plot hook that would be there for the GM is that they don't have any real idea who their father is. And their mother always brushed that question off. She's just, you know, oh, your father, he just, he left. You know, you don't remember him, he left. And they're like, who is he? He's like, oh, he's not important. You know, that kind of thing. So that would be a plot hook there to do kind of a Luke Skywalker thing where, you know, she could find out that her father was somebody interesting. (laughs) Maybe there's a reason why her mother brushed that off and didn't want them really to know. You built a couple of hooks into the backstory. You've got the sister hook. Obviously, that's the big one. And then this hook of having this unknown father. When you are building hooks into a backstory, is that something that you leave open for the GM to interpret? Or is that something that you decide on and then share? I might have ideas for where it could go, but I think it's really cool to leave it up to the GM. I've done that in a couple of a few characters in the past. Uh, I had a character who where both of his parents disappeared and he had no idea what happened. He just vanished. The character had no idea why. And then, oh boy, when the GM had me find out, that was wild. It is really fun. One of the things I particularly enjoy when playing in more of a longer term campaign is that moment of surprise when you find something out about your backstory, whether that's something you create as a player yourself or whether that's something that your GM builds into the narrative for you. It's something that I always really enjoy. Great way to go. Especially if you can build up to it a little bit with hints, you know, dropping hints here and there. At the point where Janie figures out that Peg has gone to the point of working with these Grim Reapers to gain immortality and losing her soul in the process, how do you think Janie would react to that? Well, she, of course, would be absolutely horrified. She would have had no idea that such a thing was even possible. It's kind of a hidden fact of the magical underworld, so to speak, that someone like Janie would never have had any contact. So she would be absolutely shocked. And she would be very torn between thinking there was some way she could rescue Peg from this and just having to cope with the much more likely scenario that, that she's going to have to try to take Peg out of the picture so she doesn't hurt anybody else. What kind of campaign do you think Janie needs? Janie would definitely be good in a balanced, well-rounded team. She doesn't have a spellcaster at her back when she were to, say, confront her sister. She would have really no chance. She would need to be buffed. Her sister would just put her down immediately because she would have no way to really hurt the murder rate. What did your mother expect from you when you were born? That's a difficult question. I think my mother expected me to go into medical administration like she did, or maybe to become a physician or a cyber doc. I think she'd be a little shocked at what I'm doing right now. I hope not too disappointed. She certainly never wanted me to be a juicer. It's interesting to have the weight of a parent's expectations and then to go completely against them. So it'll it'll be a fun story to eventually get to... Uh, be a part of. Thank you so much for sharing your character with me and with my listeners. How can people find you? I'm on TikTok as uh, just Jim has fun online. 
do a search for like hashtag savage riffs and you'll, you'll <laughs> find me right immediately right there. Cause I post a lot of content, just posted another video this morning about it. And, uh, I'm on Twitter as, uh, just Jim has fun. Uh, where I talk a little bit about some of my ideas. Yeah. I recommend if anyone listening wants to know more about savage worlds, I highly recommend you checking out Jim's TikTok. There's a lot of really interesting things on there about how to play the game. You can find me on TikTok at Star Mama C. That's S-T-A-R-M-A-M-A-C. You can also listen on YouTube. Just search for Characters Without Stories. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, talk to your doctor about Characters Without Stories. Every little bit helps. I want to give a special shout out this time to a friend called Bill Cool Guy on Apple Podcasts, who gave me my first review. I so, so appreciate it. I don't have any merch, um, so I don't know what to give you, but please accept my sincere thanks. And I would love it if anyone else wants to give a review. I will also give you a shout out. So please go ahead. You can write a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm currently accepting submissions, particularly for non-D&D characters, so if you'd like to share your character, you can go to the submission form at characterswithoutstories.com. Thanks for listening, and may all of your characters find their stories. <laughs> <laughs>